May Harden, Sonoma Series Book 1. Olive. Baking is my thing. Bachelorette parties are or not. Surprise strippers even less so. But I'm almost positive this guy isn't really a stripper. And if he is, he's pretty bad at it. On the other hand, he's very, very good at kissing. And maybe I shouldn't have goaded him into doing it, but it's not like I'll ever see him again. At least I'll have something to fantasize about when I'm baking muffins tomorrow morning. Brooks. Contractor, loner, stripper? Not usually, but I'll do anything to get the bachelorette party in the room next door to settle down. All I wanted was a good night's sleep. I never expected my entire world to shift when she opened the hotel door with her wide green eyes and sweet vanilla scent. Now that I've had a taste, I can't let her go. I just have to find a way to break down her walls. That's Stripped Down by May Harden. Get it now, free in Kindle Unlimited. It's another week here at Read Me Romance. Welcome back. Hey, it's Alexa Riley. We got Leanne Mel with you today. We're featuring this book by Ember Flint, and I love the title I of know, it. I know. I knew that's why it you were laughing. Me. It kills me. I know. It's called To Be My Hard-Headed Wife. And I just think, like, my husband's probably said that. <laughs> so, very relatable. We're on topic this week. <laughs> So we're super excited. We'll tell you about Ember and her book in just a few minutes. Um, just hey, how's it going? <laughs> same, I, um, same. What yeah. are you got going? Well, I told you I was going to the psycho place today. Oh yeah, that's right. I meant, I meant to say the psych. The <laughs> but psych you said testing. psycho. I was like, I'm getting my psych t- psycho testing today. <laughs> So I went and got my final evaluation just for everybody who's been on this journey with me. Like I said, I just wanted to be transparent about how long this took. I started back in October and it's been this long to like get an appointment, take the test and get results. So I went today. It's April. (laughs) It's the end of April, actually. But, um, you know, I, I left with mixed emotions because I don't really have a definitive answer. Really? Which, yeah, it kind of bummed me out. Yeah. So there's several portions of the test and how they evaluate it. And he sat down, he went through like each individual section and what it means and stuff. And basically at the end of it, he's like, I think you're borderline ADD with impulsive tendencies. And he said, I don't know that if it's, I don't know if it's considered clinical enough for you to need any sort of assistance with it or whatever. He said, all my job is to do is to test you and to give you this information. And he said, and you turn the information over to your doctor and your therapist and they decide what they think your plan should be going forward. So he said, you know, it it wasn't enough for him to be like, yes, you have ADD. Like you need to speak to your doctor and say, this is the definitive test. Here's your end result. Here's, here's your plan ahead, A, B, and C. And so I yeah. kind of wonder and maybe this is a wrong question, but mm-hmm. I feel like if you, AD, that's something you're born with, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I feel like if you ha- are your age and you find out you have it, that you may have come up with some coping ways of dealing with it. So you're just better at mm-hmm. dealing with it. 
And that's why it's borderline, but that may not necessarily be okay. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You're just handling it better because you've been doing it. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And that's, you know, a part of it. And he even says that on the thing. It's like the test is very subjective in a way to where you could take it on a different day of the week and probably get different results. Oh, wow. You know, it's like those, it's like when you take those personality tests. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're in a pissy mood or you have your period or, or, you know, you just got out of a fight, like, you know, (laughs) you're going to have a different, how do you deal with tension? Not good. (laughs) You know, know, that kind of thing. So it's partially subjective. One of the things that I found interesting was it takes, he gave me a packet and I sent one to you where it has the people who are closest to you talk or take score you on what they see Mm -hmm. and so I sent one to you to my husband and my therapist and then I fill out one myself so there's four of those and so out of the four of those mine was the highest on the ADD spectrum like as far as like mapping it out and everybody else's was somewhat in the normal range like some peaked a little higher some a little lower but all within a reasonable amount. Mine was the only one that was like spiked up high enough in the like concern area. My husband's was like, the one he did for me was spiked in the depression section. I was like, who the, what's happening here? Who do you think you live with? Like, you know, but it's all in the perspective on how someone sees you deal with it. Mm -hmm. And that you're exactly right. Like that was my argument was I said, what if I've just learned to deal with this mm-hmm. and someone from the outside doesn't see my struggles? And I'm telling you, when I take this test, this is where I struggle. But yeah. other people don't see it because I've coped with it. And to his credit, he was like, that's why we really put more weight on your own. He said, because who knows you better than yourself? Yeah. And he said, it's just collectively, we like to see what we see. And and that was the other thing, too. I said, you know, I'm such a maniac about keeping things clean and picked up and put away. And I said, people, every time someone comes to my house, they remark, oh, your house is so clean. Like everybody always says it. And I'm like, I wish you could see the anxiety behind it because it's like some people have anxiety and it's mess. And my anxiety manifests in cleanliness to where I can't even sit still to watch a movie. You if won't. There's like, yeah, You're always getting up. Yeah. If there's shoes laid around, if there's dishes in the sink, I absolutely will not sit down and watch it because that that's how my anxiety. I mean, it's so nice that it manifests in a clean sense instead of the other way. Yeah. But it's still just as torturous. Yeah. So, again, it's that theory of what someone sees from the outside is very different when I experience on the inside. So, the other thing that got me is that he said he presented the last portion of the test that I took where I was actually being interviewed by someone. Um, that was the one I told you, like, they made me count in, like, backwards and forwards and do the math, and I got really emotional. And he said, I don't know if you know, but that was an IQ test. And I was like what? (laughs) And he said, we don't tell people intentionally because we don't want to make them nervous or put the pressure on themselves about it. He was like, but it was actually an IQ test. And I was like, oh, great. (laughs) This is going to make my day. So, so he shows me the scoring and just to be completely transparent, I'm not a genius. Like I don't know if anybody was, anybody was super concerned about that, but I didn't test genius level. I know. Shocking. Right. But, um, what was funny was like, so he had the testing and sorry, there was a portion of it 
where, you know, like I said, they read aloud and there's one section where you do a puzzle. And so she showed me a picture and then she gave me blocks with like different colors and she was like, recreate the picture and I'm going to time you. And I was like, bitch bet. (laughs) This feels like a a, a challenge to me. I'm about to smoke your ass. That one I scored in like the top 6% of the people that take this test. (laughs) I'm not shocked. I know. Everything else was way below average. (laughs) The one thing that was like a puzzle, I was like, I'm going to murder this challenge. And I did. It was like I scored like a like 130 or something like on the That's on the IQ test for per puzzles. But when it was like re, it, when it was like um uh, like how you absorb like like information, mm-hmm. it was like way way low. So overall, I'm just average on the IQ test. But <laughs> but they base the ADD on what you score within this test. So you get an overall IQ score, but on the different portions of the IQ test is how they sort of base this thing. So while I was like extremely like ADD down here on the absorption of like how you, um, and how you repeat information back and how you retain it, like that was a big part of it. The, the level in which my brain processes is really high. So he said, then comes the impulse factor of it, where it's like, you're super impulsive to get an answer that might not be right. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I could have told you that without this fucking test. <laughs> that I will absolutely pick the wrong answer just to pick an answer. Yeah. You know, that's like that question Kevin asked me one time. He was like, how many balls can you fit in a, in a room this size? And I was like, a hundred. He's like, you didn't even ask what size the balls were. <laughs> like, you just gave a fucking number. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> So, so anyways, like, so that was the, the takeaway from the test today. I'm not psycho, but to be determined, I guess, you know, depending on whatever my doctor says I'm going to do next, but when you, you got to go to I, see them, uh, well, I have to, I can email her the results now. I'm not supposed to follow up with her until June and she's supposed to check my cholesterol. Spoiler alert. It's not going to be good. <laughs> So I'm supposed to go back in June and do all that, like have my heart tested and all that crap. So, but you know, I'm going to email her the results and stuff before then, but it's just, you know, a reminder, like you got to self-advocate. Yes. You know, this is something like. Especially as a woman. Oh my God. Oh my God. Nobody would have followed up with me on this. Like if I would have just mentioned this to my doctor, she would have not said anything. If I would have just mentioned this to my therapist, she may have been like, oh, we'll do this, but. It was really, it took me saying like, hey, can you test me for this? For anybody to be like, yeah, okay. Like nobody's going to say no, but you got to ask. Yeah. So it's just shit like that where, you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard out here for a pimp. That's that's (laughs) the bottom line. (laughs) Um, my husband and I had our anniversary yesterday. Oh, what'd you guys do? Yeah, yesterday. Mm -hmm. Do what? What'd you guys do? Um... We went and shopped for a patio furniture. Like, I think that's what you do when yeah. it's, you've been married 12 years and you're 40. Like, you just, you shop for outdoor furniture. <laughs> like, it was so lame. Like, we went, I mean, I loved it. It was a great day, but it's so lame to say out loud. Like, we went to, like, five stores. We didn't buy anything because we don't even have our deck built yet. We were like, hey, let's just go look and get an idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it was fun to look. We went to Ikea. We walked around there. 
Like it was, it was so boring. And then we went and we had sushi for dinner and we came home by nine o'clock and the kids are already in bed and we just laid on the couch and we watched the winter soldier. It's just so crazy. Ours, Rob had his birthday and that's what we shopped for our grill. Did you really? Yeah. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> he got some fancy grill that's like a slow cooker too. And then Hell he like yeah. laid around and watched Mama June. <laughs> I mean, really, it's the small things. I'm like, I get excited about, like, the house being clean and flowers. <laughs> I know, about, right? I'm like, this is wonderful. I know. I know. My 20-year-old me is like, you're lame, bitch. You're so lame. <laughs> so fucking lame. Like, you didn't go hard at all. Mm. And, you know, that's the thing, too, is, like, it's, it, you know, we were joking, and he was like, oh, my God, like, this was really boring. I said, it won't ever be as boring as our anniversary in 2020, when we literally, like, we just sat in the kitchen and had some chicken or something we're just like hey happy anniversary yeah <laughs> like, I was like it's only up from there so there's that but i did you know i'm not a marvel f- fan like I, i'm not really super into it but i watched the winter soldier in the falcon that show that's mm-hmm. on disney yeah that one I, we watched it we watched the final episode last night and it was really good like i was surprised how much i enjoyed it you know, it's funny sometimes I feel like if there's not a, an active love story in that's happening on a show that uh, it's hard for me to keep interested because, I mean, maybe it's just because we write romance all the time. Yeah. I don't know. But there's part of me that's like always looking for a love story. Like, mm-hmm. where's the where's the connection in this? Where's yeah. the redeeming? Like, But honestly, I felt like in the sh- I'm not going to spoil it. But then the show, I felt like there was almost a romance between the Bucky guy and the the Falcon guy. Like, there was sort of a romance between them. Like, not romantic love, but, like, brotherly love, yeah. you know? And so, that was really great to watch. Like, to watch that friendship and that, you know, it's 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 more than a friendship. You know, it really is like a brother's um, to watch them be together. Like, that was really awesome. You know, I, I, I loved it more than I really thought I, ex- I expected to. Because I don't know anything about them. I don't know their backstories. The only thing I've ever seen them in was this thing on Disney+. Plus. Yeah. And you can totally watch it just that and not have to watch all 22 movies or however fucking many. There I think there's are like 30. Oh, my God. That makes me nauseous. Me and my husband actually a few weeks ago talked about, because we always watch TV on Friday. I was like, well, we can't yeah. find anything. We should just start watching them in order mm-hmm. and slowly do it over the year. That's what my husband was saying. He was like, you got to go back and watch them. And I was like, I kind of want to, but it's just so many. It's such a commitment. And I don't want every time we sit down and watch TV, I don't want to watch a Marvel movie. Yeah, that's why but I kind of right. said, there's, like, when we can't find anything. Yeah, you're right. Like, there's time to do it between now and then. And I've seen a couple of them. I think I went through and I counted out. I think I've seen like maybe six of them. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Those were fun. Yeah. I watched Black Panther. I watched the new Captain Marvel, the girl one. I watched that. And I've seen like the first Captain America. I've watched the very first one. I and I've Captain. seen I've seen two of the Iron Mans. I have a problem with Captain America. Why? And maybe I maybe hate Iron is, Man. Okay, I don't really like, I mean, I like Tony Stark because he's sort of a cocky dick, but I don't like how he did Pepper, is that her name? Yeah. The girl in yeah. It? Okay. 
Yeah, I don't like that. And that's my thing with Captain. It's like, at one point, and maybe this is a little bit of a spoiler, so look out if you need to fast forward if you've never seen any of these. I know what you're going to probably say, and it's going to be wrong, but go ahead. Well, it's with the woman, right? To where he goes in the future, and he's with the Sharon. Is that her name? Sharon? He doesn't hook up with anybody. Yeah, but he's with her, isn't he? Like in the... They have like a small bit of flirtation. But no, spoiler alert, at the (laughs) end of the last one, Uh they have this time machine thingy going on to go back and restart. They send Captain America back to her. Yeah, that's right. He asks to go back. Yeah, so he goes back to her and they're together so that he can, and you'll see Captain again when he's like old. Yes. He comes back to talk to them. Yeah, I heard. Okay, so I, my husband told me about that, but he was telling me the girl that's in the the Winter Soldier Falcon show, Sharon, I think, or Sharon or Shannon, I can't remember, but he said her and Captain hook up, and I was like, I think he said, in the but, comics they did, and it's her, it's her, it's his that girl he was in love with, like okay. granddaughter. Okay, because that's what he was saying. He said because the woman he's in love with is like 80 years old and thinks he's dead or whatever, is like doesn't want him. So the thing is, I think everybody was waiting for that to happen because she came on the screen, but they never even like kissed or anything. But we were all kind of like, is this going to happen? But it didn't. All right, so I need to know it's this Alexa Riley safe. <laughs> if that, that one is, but the whole point of the whole Marvel thing is that mm-hmm. there are all these universes and it's mm-hmm. all playing out in different ways across different universes. Yeah, okay. So there okay. can be many different endings. Yeah, okay. So that was one thing too. When so the Loki show is coming up, and my husband's like, "Well, you got to watch that," because he finally got me to watch the Winter Soldier Falcon. He was like, "Well, now I have to get you to watch Loki," and I was like, "Okay." And so he said it got pushed back. It was supposed to start like this weekend, but it got pushed back. And he was like, "It starts on your birthday, so we should watch it then." So I don't know anything about like Loki or that story or anything. He said he's part of Thor, and I haven't watched the Thor movies. Loki is so, funny. Yeah. Him and his brother are like hate each other and they fight all the time, but then when one of them gets to jump on the other one, they never like pull the trigger. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think I may watch it. I mean, it sounds pretty fun. So I don't know. But that sounds, that, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'll dive into it. Maybe I won't. But it's it sounds like it might be something I'll enjoy. I will say all the little snippets I see of the girls who are like kind of like fawning over Loki because he's like this really dark hero and stuff. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I could get down with this. So we'll see. I think if you want... Um like a Alexa Riley true, it would be WandaVision. Mm. That is okay. when you watched all the, um, if you've seen any of them, did you ever see the guy that kind of looked like a robot? I've seen the previews for WandaVision, like on the, the thing that pops up yeah. on Disney Plus. Okay. So the guy that kind of looks like a robot, and then there's this girl that uh-huh. can control like everything. Let's say she's probably one of the most powerful. She's, um, a witch or whatever. Okay. They have the most epic love story. So much so that when he dies, she creates a whole nother world. Oh, wow. And you don't know if the world is real or 
anything like that. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if he's really there or she's dreaming this up and what's happening. Yeah. But, yeah, because she gets locked away at one point. And he's, like, a robot. Like, he's, like, super to the point or whatever, mm-hmm. irrational. Like, he can actually pick up mm-hmm. Captain America's – or um, Thor's hammer. Oh, wow. Okay. He can pick up Thor's hammer. Captain can, too. But <laughs> – but so she gets sent to this little whatever they're stashing mm-hmm. her away and cause she's dangerous they think and he's there and they just start talking i didn't think he could fall in love and then they fall in love and there's oh. i think their love story is the most epic and devoted one. Oh, it's oh, all that. or nothing okay. for them He's never even seen anybody or felt romantic to anybody. You know what? If my husband would have, like, presented this show to me like that, I would have watched it the day it came out. Yeah, the first, <laughs> the first like, four or five episodes are pretty boring. Okay. So you kind of have okay. to, like, grudge through Build it. up to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, like I said, if he would have told me, like, it's an it's the most epic love story in the Marvel Universe, I'd be like, put it on. Hit play, bitch. <laughs> Challenge accepted. So, speaking of love stories, we've got Ember Flint this week. <laughs> so, I'll read her author bio. Um, Ember, Ember Flint is a hopeless romantic who loves tea, steamy, unrealistic reads, and anything colored or scented lavender. She believes in love at first sight and has been your HEA defender since 2017. She writes sinfully sweet, feel-good stories with happily ever after guaranteed, no cheating allowed, where the romance is over the top, the sizzle factor is always high, and the men are rough, dirty-talking, hunky alphas who are possessively in love with the curvy and sassy as fuck all-around women they cherish. Click the button to keep the to keep up on new releases. Um, you can visit her website at emberflint.com or the back matter of her books for contact details on all her social media handles and all that good stuff. Ember wrote this book for us. She actually had COVID in February and was in the hospital for like, I think a month. And so she's, I know she's out now and she's slowly getting better. So to her credit, I think she wrote this book around that time. So it just, it amazes me that she was, she was so kind about like, uh, I know I'm late on turn. I'm like, you've got plenty of time. We'll move you if necessary. But she came through and sent the book, didn't miss a day. Like, she was so awesome about it. So, I know she's got tons of releases before, you know, all of this happened. She's got this book coming out now. She's got more books up ahead. So, um, definitely check her out. She's amazing. And um, we, we're so happy that she's here and she's featured with us today um, to be my hard-headed wife. Like, I'm, I'm so excited to finally hear this one. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited. So, we'll play the first installment for you guys and we'll see you on the other side. This is To Be My Hard-Headed Wife, Outrageous Brides and Undercover Billionaires Series Number 1 by Ember Flint. Read for you by Rock Angle. Chapter 1 Lincoln Is that fucking airport anywhere in sight? Dasher barks out through clenched teeth. His face is pale and his forehead is clammy. His bright green eyes are nervously darting around. I look at the Tag Heuer smartwatch on my wrist and sigh. He is so not going to like what I have to say. We're still more than two hours away, man. Sit tight, I tell him coolly. Fucking hell, Dasher mumbles on a moan 
as his eyes fall closed and his head tilts to the side, coming to rest against the electrochromic glass. His finger furiously jabs at the button to dim the window to total darkness, while our friend William, the brains behind our undercover mission, leans forward to slip him another anti-air sickness pill before going back to tap away at the keyboard of his laptop, his dark eyes glued to the financial reports on his screen. Grover, our other friend, turns around in his cramped seat and levels me with a hard stare, his dark blue eyes flashing in annoyance. Really, Link? Can't you dial down the bluntness a little bit? Guy is this close to being sick again. I shrug. Would you rather I bullshit him? It's not like if I tell him we're about to land, we'll get to El Paso any faster, I grumble, biting back a smile. It's hard to take his glare seriously when his chin is practically bouncing on his knee. We all stand several inches past six feet, and we're built, so there isn't much space for us even in the premium cabin of a private, anonymously chartered airplane. But he is the biggest motherfucker of the bunch, and had to practically fold in two to fit in one of these tiny armchairs. We would have fared much better if we took one of our jets. But as Will rightly pointed out, that would have hardly helped us disguise our secret destination from our overbearing families. Yet, going undercover is the only way we can come out on top. After ten years of fruitless meddlesomeness on their part, and after countless failed attempts staged by the collective, a.k.a. the not-so-well-meaning array of our unhinged, money-hungry female relatives, to see us tied down to some snooty cold fish of their choosing at the ripe old age of 34, those cunning old bastards we call fathers finally have us by the balls. Or so they think. Since all of our parents are divorced and have married several times each, and since none of those weddings were held for the sake of anything resembling love, they all fail to see why asking us to do the same could cause us to revolt so much. I've personally grown disgusted with each and every one of the high society princesses that the collective has tried to stick me with within ten minutes of knowing them. Still, it was the last effort from my nagging stepmother and her nosy partners in crime that made me adamant I would die a bachelor. I got set up with the heiress to a hotel chain with a nasty, not-so-well-hidden coke habit who couldn't go five seconds without trying to hump me. Turns out, she didn't exactly have the hots for me. It was more like she had already been knocked up by some loser and was trying to pin the pregnancy on me. Good thing I never touched her. What happened to my best friends with their perfect matches is just as crazy and doesn't bear repeating. We said, fuck it all the hell, and finally put our foot down. Those radio silence for about a month, and we thought it was over. But then, two weeks ago, our old men fucking went and amended their wills. It seems William's father was the fucking architect of the plan and the first to implement it. The other assholes, including, of course, the one who sired me, followed his idiotic lead. The update the smug SOBs made to their testaments isn't much more than a single ironclad clause added at the end and consisting of a cluster of fucked-up fine print. But it has nevertheless managed to ruin our fucking lives and to put us on this plane flying toward the desert. 
Each of us must marry someone by the last day of December of the year we turn 35, which is fucking next year, and make a provable effort to produce a viable heir or adopt one. If we don't comply with the ludicrous terms, come January, we stand to be fired from our positions as CEOs of our respective companies, to see our seats removed from the boards, and to lose access to the bulk of our inheritances for a minimum of five years. Now, if it were just for the money, I would say fuck it. Even if I didn't have the trust fund my grandparents set aside for me, I've still amassed a little over a billion dollars on my own in the last ten years. But McManus Enterprises is my life. My legacy. I fucking love it. And that bastard of my old man knows it. My friends are pretty much in the same spot. If at any time during those five years we have married and obtained heirs, we can be reinstated. But if we aren't found compliant by the designed date, then the penalty simply gets renewed, and five more years are added to the term. If this isn't nightmarish enough, there's also the substantial risk that our fathers, who are all well past their prime, could fucking die on us before we can invalidate the goddamned clause. In my case, since there is no fucking next-in-line heir, this would mean seeing my company indefinitely frozen with a board of assholes at the helm until I do manage to have an heir. And said heir turns at least twenty-one. Will, Grove, and Dash are just as fucked. After we recovered from the shock, we concluded that acquiescence to the stupid fucking terms was the only way to handle this, since refusing to entertain them puts into action another fucking clause. One that disinherits us all for good, effective immediately. Trying to find a solution seemed to be a hopeless endeavor until we discovered a little loophole. No mention of a specific bride-to-be or of the collective choosing women for us was made in the will. Nothing can spare us from marrying, and we still can't risk even getting close to 35 as single men. Too much is at stake but at least we get to pick our own future wives. That got us thinking, and level-headed Will surprised us all by coming up with a crazy plan that's going to make our families regret they ever meddled in our affairs. We won't be popping the question to any one of their acquaintance, and we will certainly not be keeping in consideration any of their stupid standard requirements either. In fact, we're on a mission to do the exact opposite. We needed to come up with a reason to leave New York behind. Grover was the one who got the perfect idea. A year-long sabbatical. We also knew we would need a cover story for the locals, and he suggested we set up a little front company to give us an excuse to be there. Since none of our families deal in security, that's what our fake firm is going to purportedly provide. We told our families we wanted some downtime before marrying a sort of off-the-grid vacation during which they could ask no questions and we would continue to remotely manage our assets. Our fathers took our words to mean we intended to spend a year sowing our wild oats before getting hitched. We're about to pick the most outrageous brides, women our snooty families will totally despise. I, for one, 
Won't stop until I find a woman that's going to make my cock hard as steel, my heart beat out of my chest, and most importantly, my darn snobby mother clutch her fucking pearls. I figured the wholesome cowgirl next door type that lives in the countryside and wears Wrangler rather than Valentino would possess the perfect amount of everyday southwestern charm that would downright horrify my parents and the rest of the collective. When it came down to pick the state to focus our research on, I proposed the one place in America that always makes the collective gasp in horror, the one they loathe above any other place on earth, the Lone Star State. We spent several days looking for the perfect godforsaken hole in the boondocks, and then finally dash it gold when he found a place so perfect and so aptly named we couldn't believe our luck. The little town of Contrary. Chapter 2 Audrey My baby sister takes another batch of chocolate chip cookies out of the oven and huffs a glossy strand of dark brown hair away from her hazel eyes. I just don't get it, Dree. Why would they come up with the idea of opening a security firm in the middle of nowhere? What kind of name is Clamor, anyway? I mean, don't you think it's odd? Wouldn't you call a security firm something else? I shrug, bringing my eyes back to the apple pie that I have cooling on the rack. I gently tap it on the side. Another two minutes, and I can start working on my honey glaze. I don't know. We're not the best at picking names, Lizzie B. Since we lost most of the lands surrounding Wilder Ranch, along with one of the three businesses our maternal grandparents left us, we fused the two surviving ventures into one, in a desperate attempt to avoid bankruptcy and remain solvent with those bastards down at the bank. Now we are the proud owners of the only half-bakery, half-flower boutique in town, and when it was time to pick out a new name for it, we went a bit crazy. We called it pink flowers, and honey apple pies. Here in Contrary, we're known collectively as the Wilder Sisters, but that was our mom's last name, not ours. We each have a different one. Our mom had me and was left by my father the day after I was born. So the only thing I ever got from the pig was his last name, Honeycomb. When I was a baby, Mama, who was a kind-hearted soul, but was a bit flighty, decided she needed to get me a new daddy. That's how she found herself pregnant with my other sister, Sasha, who's currently busy arranging the new flower compositions in colorful display behind our windows. Her father only outlasted mine in her life by a week, and again didn't give her anything more than his last name, Pinker. By then, our mama should have seen a pattern, but it wasn't to be. Not that I can complain, though. I got two more amazing little sisters out of her messy love life. Our middle sister, Jilly, is currently on her way back from working in the greenhouse on the little scrap of land that still belongs to us at the ranch. She, too, got one thing only from her deadbeat dad, and once again, it was his last name. Flowers. Considering how much she loves botany, though, she's the one who got lucky there. And finally, there's Liz, our troublemaker little sister. 
she's got a little bit more than the surname Appleby from that loser of her father. We all did, actually. He's the only one who married our mother. And he did stick around. It wasn't to take care of his daughter or of any of us, though. And it wasn't because he loved our mama, either. But so that he could take our hard-earned money and gamble it all away. He's the reason the ranch went to hell, and we got mired in debt after our mom died when we were teens. Anyway, according to our little town of mean-spirited busybodies, we did our cause no favor by calling the place in a way that so blatantly reminds them of our poor mother's train wreck of a love life and her mistakes. But we don't care for their opinion on the matter. Or any matter, really. Still, like I said, we're not the best when it comes to choosing names. I turn around to look back at Liz, just as Sasha comes into the kitchen. What would you have called it? I ask her. Liz blinks. I don't know. Something less suspicious for sure, she muses, as she puts another batch of cookies in the oven, this time vanilla almond chalk chip ones. My favorite. I smirk, shaking my head. For our little sister, everything is suspicious. She's probably the most untrusting person I know. Which is saying a lot, since I can't very well call myself open. Still, no one can beat her. Hmm, I would have called it stale security. Or, hey there, this is a fake business we're putting out to hide our drug dealings at the border or some kind of undercover military op security. Any of those options would have been less conspicuous, Sasha says with a toss of her blonde ringlets, her dark blue eyes flashing as she steals one of the still-cooling cookies from the rack. Well, fine. Maybe she comes close enough to rip the title off Liz's hands. That's smart mouth on her. It's not by chance that we call her sass. About ten days ago, someone bought the five-story building next door to our bakery-slash-flower shop the talk of the town is that the buyers are a group of guys from the East Coast and that they're opening a security firm, but no one knows anything else. Since they first heard about this, my younger sisters, especially Liz and Sass, have been back and forthing outlandish theories about the true nature of our future neighbor's business. I will admit it is a bit unusual, but I won't be losing sleep on it. There are plenty more important things that already keep me awake at night. Like how to keep us in the black. Now, if I could only manage to persuade my wacky sisters to do the same. Chapter 3 Lincoln I exit through our building's front doors on Desert Boulevard and select my favorite running playlist on my smartwatch as I look around trying to decide in which direction I should set off. I hear a small grunt and turn to the left. There's what seems to be a rusty, beaten-up Barbie version of a Ford pickup parked on the other side of the street. The bed is overflowing with flowers and plants. A tiny woman with a compact, rounded body is half-bent in front of the passenger door, with her arms fastened around a white sack of some sort that's almost as big as she is. She's huffing and puffing and damning the thing to hell and back as she tries to pick it up from where it's lying, still half inside the truck and half onto the concrete. I completely forget about my run and the playlist 
and stand in place, just watching the scene. Suddenly, she straightens up and starts to kick first the sack and then the nearest front tire of her pickup. I feel my eyebrows shoot up as she screams, clenching her little fists in rage. If she weren't just about the cutest, tiniest thing I've ever seen, I'd almost be scared. Stupid piece of shit. I hate you. Why did you have to die here? Why? Is this a joke? She grumbles, each word marked by a new kick delivered to the offending truck. My lips stretch in a small smile as I watch her antics, and before I know what I'm doing, I'm jogging up to her. The closer I get, the hotter she looks. She might be tiny, but damn, she's curvy and pretty. Her shoulder-length brown waves are glossy and wild about her face, Every time the sun hits a strand, it goes on fire. She's mostly turned away from me, but I can see the profile of a button nose, full lips, and a frown so dark she could give Will a run for his money any day. As I stand there like an idiot, she keeps on cursing her bad luck, the stupid sack, and the truck, and a part of me almost finds her... charming. Could I be so lucky as to have found the perfect candidate practically on my doorstep? She's dressed in girl-next-door attire, countryside western edition, tan cowboy boots and a matching hat, a pair of shorts that hug her voluptuous ass in a way that should be illegal, and a purple tank top that does nothing to hide her curves. Wow. I let go of a shaky breath, tearing my eyes from her killer bottom, and move closer to her. Need a hand? I ask, flashing her my most winning smile. She turns toward me, hands on her hourglass-shaped hips. Yeah, she's lovely. Cock hard as steel. Check. Heart beating out of my chest. Check. Now for the manners. We're almost there, I would say. She gives me a slow once-over and fucking glares up at me all the way from where she's standing over a foot shorter than me, big emerald eyes narrowed and defensive. Nothing to see here, bucko. Get going. The smirk falls from my lips, and I blink several times. That's not what we say to people who offer to help now, is it? I gently scold her. But the first time, she smiles at me, nodding. That's right, Mr. Polite. What we say to people who offer help when no one asks them, after they've spent far too much time staring at our ass, is to get fucking lost. She delivers her jab in the sweetest voice imaginable, her dark eyelashes fluttering up at me. For a minute here, she has me speechless and blushing. She caught me checking her out, and I'm blushing? What the fuck is this? And why isn't she doing what women generally do around me? Where's the fawning, the sultriness? Damn, I am really far from home here. I sober. Huh, this might actually work. Did you just tell me to fuck off? Pretty much. She rolls her eyes at me. Look, I don't have all day. 
I need to get the stupid flour sack to my bakery, and standing here with you isn't going to help me do that. She turns around and once again grasps the sack and starts to pull it. Man, she's such a stubborn little thing. You're actually going to refuse my assistance when it's clear there's no way in hell your tiny hard-headed ass could ever manage to move that sack an inch. She raises her head and looks straight up at me. Did I stutter? Just like that. I'm effectively dismissed as she resumes her pointless struggle. My eyebrows couldn't go any higher over my forehead if they tried. I shake my head and stride to where the stupid sack is thrown, easily picking it up and holding it under my arm. What the hell? Put that down! She rounds on me, her little index stabbing in the middle of my chest until she hurts her fingertip and glowers at me. Ow, oh, damn it! What are you made of, rock? Well, I am rock hard at the moment, so you're not too far off. What did you just say? She murmurs. I smirk down at her. What? Did I stutter now? Her eyes grow as round as saucers, and she blushes, her kissable mouth snapping closed with a little whimper of shock. She groans to herself, shaking her head. Like I'm the crazy person in the equation. You big giant jerk. I'm not going to repeat myself. Put this fucking sack down right this instant. You are so rude. I almost can't believe it. I chuckle, pointing at my chest. I'm rude for helping you, I ask. She sighs, all huffy. You're rude and childish for insisting on helping me, when I never asked you to, nor need you to. I openly laugh, shaking my head. First of all, if there's someone who's rude, that's you. Also stubborn, by the way. And as for being childish, little girl, I think we both know who's the one between us that's in need of a sound spanking. She gasps, seething, and I can see the glint in her eyes as she searches for a comeback. Anything you have to say, it's just going to add to the spanks you got coming. She actually stomps her foot and then flips me off. I grinned to myself. Yep, I think I've just found the perfect bride to piss my family off royally. And I don't even know her name. Chapter 4 Audrey A wildfire is blazing over my cheeks while I stare up at the gigantic, unfairly handsome Neanderthal trying and failing, to recompose myself. Was it really necessary for a higher power to plant the idea of growing a sexy dark beard in this asshole's head? My eyes rake up and down his lean, muscular frame, lingering on the complicated webs of ink running down from his upper shoulders to his big wrists. I didn't know they grew him so tall. He must be six-five at the very least. And he's strong. He picked up that damn sack of flour like it was nothing. He is... He is... Mouth-wateringly hot. But most importantly, he's utterly arrogant. I mean, is he for real? I look on in total astonishment, 
as he continues to ignore everything I've said and effortlessly throws the sack of flour that was giving me hell over one of his broad shoulders before he turns around and starts to walk. Unbelievable, I mutter, trying to keep up with his freakishly long stride. You might want to know where to go with that thing since you're hell-bent on being my knight in not-so-shiny armor. He slows down a bit and turns to look at me with a half-smirk on his ridiculously attractive face and a twinkle in his baby-blue eyes. Then lead the way, lady," he says, with a little flourish of his hand and a polished East Coast accent in his deep, chocolatey voice. I silently fume. I mean... What looks like this and happens to pass through our miserable little town? He must be one of the mysterious lunatics who decided to up and leave civilization and come to contrary to open that security firm. Which means we're neighbors. Lucky me. I point to the bakery slash flower shop, and he sighs, probably reaching the same conclusion. I should have probably started our conversation with a howdy neighbor then, he says, flashing me another one of those pretentiously gorgeous smiles of his. I roll my eyes, trying very hard to appear unaffected, but damn, it's difficult. My heart is picking up more and more speed the longer I am in his presence. I really need to cut him loose, fast. Very funny, I mutter starting to walk faster. I'm Lincoln, by the way. Lincoln McManus. I shake my head. God, even his name is pompous. Why the hesitation before telling me his last name? What's he hiding? Okay, I need to stop channeling Liz now, or Sass for that matter. Nice to meet you not, I grumble. All right, I'll stop channeling in a few seconds then. And what's your name, lovely? The annoyingly hot stranger asks. Every ounce of my rationality is telling me to just keep walking and keep my mouth shut. But for some reason, I still slow down and turn to look back at him. My poor brain stuck on the lovely definitely more than it should. It's Audrey Honeycomb, I tell him, beginning to mentally curse myself. He chuckles. What? I ask, frowning. He shrugs one shoulder. Nothing. It's just, you definitely look like an Audrey. But honeycomb? Really? Where did all the honey go? I stop walking completely and swing around. That's it. I'm going to pull a Lizzie and fucking punch him in that pretty face of his. Or maybe I'll kick him in the jewels. I barely managed to stop myself. My sisters and I don't need this type of trouble. And besides, he's riling me on purpose. I'm not going to give him the satisfaction. I give him my most winsome smile. I put it all in the pies, mister, so there's nothing left for you here. He gives me a long, smoldering look with his intense baby blues. And then he walks past the threshold of my shop. Where do you want this? he asks, nodding to the sack still on his shoulder. I wordlessly point at the small hall that leads to the kitchen in the back. But when I hear the giggles and the whispers of my sisters coming from there, I reach out one hand to stop him. 
As soon as my fingers graze the skin of his arm, we both freeze. And I swear I can feel a sizzle of current prick my fingertips. Here, here's good. He cocks one eyebrow, looking down at me. Here, Audrey? In the middle of the hall? Don't you want it in the pantry? My heart stammers at the way my name sounds when pronounced in his rough baritone. N no, here's perfect. Thank you. You're welcome, Audrey. Lincoln stops in his tracks and lowers the sack to the floor. I start to walk back. My hands are shaking, and I'm suddenly feeling a panic I can't explain. I need him to get out of here, now. Bye then, I say, forcing him to move back towards the doors. He scowls. This guy really doesn't take well to orders unless he's the one giving them. What about your truck, he asks. I'm more the type of guy who tinkers with bikes rather than cars, but I can still check it out. I blink, starting to feel even more uncomfortably warm. Like I needed a biker-slash-mechanic fantasy starring him running in my head right now. And I'm more the type of girl who kicks her truck rather than people, but I can still see about kicking you out. He chuckles, stepping dangerously close into my space. What? I don't even get a slice of that warm honey pie you were talking about? I flush from head to toe. How does he do it? How does he twist everything that comes out of my mouth into something dirty? And how come I kind of like it? I gulp and look away, taking a step back as his large frame comes so close to me. He's practically blocking the light. If you don't leave now, I'm going to really give you one. But you won't like where I'll be telling you to put it. Lincoln's lips twitch as he tuts at me, slowly shaking his head, one finger tapping his bearded chin. Yes, it's like I said. You definitely need a hard spanking. Or something else that's just as hard. I blush even deeper at his implication, barely able to break the spell that his husky voice, the nearness of his big body, and his scent of sandalwood and pine are waving around me. He starts to lean forward, and I don't realize what he's trying to do until I feel his hot breath fanning my lips. That's when I snap out of it and finally push him away, shooing him out the place before he can pull me under again. Chapter 5 Lincoln I'm staring at the too low ceiling, and I can't sleep. This is most definitely a new feeling for me. I wish I could blame it on my allergies flaring up again, because of the damn dust that seems to coat every molecule of oxygen in this hole in the desert. I wish I could say it's because I'm stressed, trying to keep my parents off my back. But no, it's none of these things. I'm wide awake, and I've been sleeping poorly for the last four nights because I've gone fucking insane. 
There's no other explanation for what's going through my mind since I laid my gaze on a certain hard-headed beauty with curves for days and sparkling eyes. I picture myself running my rough hands up and down her curvy body. A shudder goes through me. I squeeze my eyes and try to replace the vision of her large green eyes shooting daggers at me with something, anything. It doesn't work. I bring to mind the only thing on this earth that gives me any no-strings-attached joy. My collection of bikes. My only weakness. I try to think about which of my all-terrain motorcycles could hold its own if I took it for a ride in the rocky desert. But not even dirt bikes can clear my mind from other, far more interesting dirty things. Because as I picture my silver one-of-a-kind Husqvarna motocross, I see Audrey draped over it. I think I have another weakness now. A bigger one. I glare down at my rock-hard dick, trying to will it into submission. I try to think boring, unsexy thoughts as I turn on my other side, and I almost fall from the stupid tiny-ass bed that's too fucking short for me. I mutter an oath when I see not even almost falling face down on the hard floor could scare my damn cock into compliance. I'm fucking burning up for her. And she doesn't want me. We keep running into each other. It could be said it's unavoidable with the girl's bakery boutique right next door. But I'm the one who does his damnedest to be near her. I can't keep away. And Audrey is resisting my every attempt to charm her with everything she has. And that only makes me crazier about her. I'm not sure what's going on with me. I did know right away that I was really attracted to her. And I found her prideful attempts at rejecting my help kind of cute and endearing. But this is going too far. I mean, she's supposed to be just a way to piss off my domineering family and maybe add some spice and joy to my life. She would be an amazing fuck with all that fire she has running through her veins, that's for sure. But if this was just about sex, I wouldn't be so affected. So what's going on here? Why can't I stop thinking about her? Welcome back. Hi. Look what I just noticed I have right here in my closet. What do you have? <laughs> Your Captain America Christmas sweatshirt. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, my God. You just, you, I mean, you got to love a good guy. Right? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening to the first installment. Um, be sure to check out everything for the giveaways and all that good stuff this week. Um, I'll have to check and see what it is. Maybe I can talk about it on Thursday. <laughs> so um, follow us everywhere. Rate, review, subscribe. We really appreciate it. And um, I guess we'll see you guys on Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell them what to do. Fuck your day up. Make stay your bitch. Don't be a dick. Bye, guys. Bye. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. Read me romance. Read, read me romance. You could take a look in a book that's fine Or you could sit back, relax, and unwind And read me romance Read, read me romance